Welcome to the Nobody Told Me That podcast. My name is Teresa Duncan, and my goal is to share information that you probably weren't thinking about. I love preparing my friends for situations that may come completely out of the blue. I also want to share with you many of the tidbits I picked up over the years. If you absolutely have to tune out before the end of the show, make sure you check out the show notes for more details and information on today's topic. And thank you so much for making me a part of your day. This episode is sponsored by Curve Dental Software. At the American Association of Dental Office Management's annual conference, I've had the pleasure of hosting two different panel discussions on behalf of Curve Dental, and they were titled, Managers, What Would You Do? I had put together a group of managers and or consultants, and they were able to answer a bunch of questions that I had for them, but also audience questions. The sessions were a hit, and next year is already being put into place. And by next year, I mean this year, 2023. I have worked with Curve for a while, and when they mentioned sponsoring the podcast, I thought, sure, why not? Let's give this a shot. I do appreciate their love of office managers and the value that we bring to the table. So check out the show notes for a link to curvedental.com slash Duncan to check out the software with a few incentives tossed in. Full disclosure, they are sponsoring the podcast episodes, but I will not receive any kickbacks for your demos or your signups. I just want to bring you information in case you are looking for a change. And Curve Dental has just been a really good thing for a lot of people that I've talked to. So I will pop back in later with more information. For now, on to the show. And we are back for another episode of Nobody Told Me That. Now, this is a very fun episode because I have three friends of mine with me, and I'll introduce them in a second. But the reason I'm having this panel discussion is because I want to hear different viewpoints, and I also want to thank Curve Dental because they're actually helping me to bring these three to you so that we can have these viewpoints. They don't want the spotlight. They just want us to talk and connect. And so when they said, what do you think about bringing this to a podcast form? I said, heck yeah, let's do it. My audience would love this. So I have a whole bunch of these coming for you throughout the year. The first one is about billing. So billing best practices. And I was trying to think who's been in office, but also are expert enough that they're doing their own thing and helping other offices, but still have a little bit of knowledge for when they were back behind the desk and answering the phones. So I came up with Michelle Affinato. Ashley Bond and Angela Davis Sullivan, who are three very wonderful people and good friends. I'll have their bio and everything ready in the show notes for you that you can download and visit them and visit their sites and get to know them. Urge you to do that because they're pretty awesome. I will just go ahead and let the reins loose. I've got some questions for them. Be ready. We're going to get into some no holds barred discussion here. Ladies, how are you? Good. Good. Doing great. I love it. Okay. One of the questions that I sent to you all ahead of time was, please share a billing horror story. And I love, I love billing horror stories. I love horror stories in general. And between all of us, we've seen some S, right? You have to keep it family friendly or else Apple will slap a painting on me and I don't want that, right? So who wants to go first with their billing horror story, either when they were in office or in something that they've seen in an office? I'll go. When I was working in an office, 
at the front, I was the office manager, and the front, this one girl just would never even ask for the money at checkout, mind you. And she was also in charge of, you know, back in the day of running the statements. And she would go through and just deselect what she felt like was nice people that they didn't get a bill, like ever. And you said, you're wondering me. They are, and you're wondering why. Well, I'll ask them next time. And knowing that she would never ask them next time, like they got a service, they're going to expect to pay something. And it was so like gut wrenching when someone, the hygienist maybe would bring them to the front, expecting them to pay for something today. And she would just let them go. And then the deselecting the statements was just like mind blowing to me. So I have a question, Angela. What does that mean? Nice patients, like nice to her? Yeah, nice or to nice. Her. Oh, see, that's not even cold. <laughs> Some of our patients are so nasty to us and not necessarily, yeah. you know, to other team members who she felt like might not have money that month or to, yeah, basically nice to her. It was craziest thing I'd ever seen. That's nuts. All right. I've unfortunately had probably too many to count with horror stories of what we've seen, but agree with the statements, you know, going into practices and they haven't sent statements in over a year. It just hurts my heart when I see that. Mm. I think probably the worst that I've seen going into a practice is an office that was just billing under the wrong treating provider in order to get it on a better fee schedule, which there was ignorance. So I'm glad I came in and could say, hey, we this is a big no-no. But unfortunately, I've seen that many times, probably more than I can count, is just changing things like that on the claim. All right, Michelle, what you got? So I saw this from two perspectives. One, as a patient of the office, and two, as the offices. And I brought it up because I got a statement from them, but I didn't go back there for like a couple months and I never got another statement. And so when I brought it up to the office manager, I said, like, you haven't sent me any more statements. And I was like purposely not paying it to kind of see what their policy was. And her answer was, I sent you a statement, you know, you owe the money. So I'm not going to bother you again. <laughs> and she did that with all of the, not just me, all of the patients only ever got one statement. <laughs> okay. And needless to say, <laughs> we're still trying to dig out from that. Gosh, the one and done, the set it and forget it set billing system. <laughs> That's like, I'm glad that you also do that to other offices. I definitely test out other offices yeah. too. What is their process? If there was a way that we could mystery shop the billing side, it's easy to mystery shop like the phone calls and the customer service, but the billing side, I mean, you have to actually have a bill and all that. I mean, how do you mystery shop that? So I'm that office is lucky that you said something. Because most patients are like, oh, I only got one bill. It's cool. Right. Good. Yeah, they're never going to pay it because there's no consequences. Like, you just get a bill and that's it. And it went to the bottom of the pile anyways. So speaking of bottom of the pile, my billing story is when I was dealing with the billing in an office. And because our statement's always like nobody pays attention, right? Especially like if there's no teeth behind what you're what you're saying, you know, I'm going to send you to collections and they're like, yeah, it doesn't affect my, my credit score. Ha ha ha. You know, you know, that changed yeah. over the years. I had a, a family that came in and they were just like, everything was down on their luck. They were just every sob story. And I think everybody who's been in, at the front, we started out thinking everybody's sob story was true. And then you start to realize how like they lie. They, they just lie. 
and you start getting better at it. But I was still new and so wanted to believe, you know, so all these things were going on and we just don't have this and we don't have, and they were sending like $15 a month on like a $3,000 bill. It was ridiculous, right? So it got to the point where I was getting ready to send them to collections and it was probably what might be my fifth or sixth collections account. And I, you know, I hadn't done this often and I was so upset that I had to send them to collections. Then like, Two or three weeks later, I go to a hockey game. And hockey games are not cheap. So they're there with their family, their whole family. And they're in good seats. And I know they're good seats because I paid for my seats and I know what those seats cost. They had meals. All of them had meals. All of them had the the fingers, you know, the, the finger puppet. Well, I don't know, the number one things. They all had the hockey jerseys. And, you know, those hockey jerseys aren't cheap because I saw them and I didn't buy them because I know how expensive they are, right? So they were all decked out and I was looking at them and, you know, she had new nails, she had hair, everything looked good. And I thought, these people dressed down to come in to the dental office to give me their sob story. And they fooled me. And I remember thinking, what the heck? And we locked eyes, me and the wife, we locked eyes. And I never saw her. I haven't seen her again since then, but I'll never forget, like, here I am agonizing over their bill and their care, their oral care, and they're like, whatever, we're going to go to the hockey game. So it's terrible. I was jaded. I was I was a sweet, sweet young office manager, and these things just turned me into what I am today, people. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of a story. We had a patient that never paid at time of service, like always had to, it had to go through insurance, and she was an older patient. So in my father's practice, she... He let that go, even though, you know, we urged him, like, we have to change the policy. She would drive a Porsche every day, but she wouldn't park in front of the office. She would (laughs) way down the parking lot and walk so that we wouldn't see what she was driving. (laughs) You bring your point with the billing, though, with this older generation and a doctor retires, a new doctor comes in and wants to collect at time of service. And the excuse is always, well, they've never done that in the past. They've always, they'll pay, but we bill them. They wait till the insurance pays and then I send them a statement and then they'll send a check or they'll stop by or the next time they come in. But there's like, is that everybody? And I'm thinking, yeah, but we had 45 new patients this month that don't know that. What about those people? And trying to get business team to kind of break that habit because that's the way it was before kind of thing. So I've seen that a lot. Let's talk about that. How do you tell a patient that, hey, things are different now? I mean, I used to always blame the accountant. I used to say, oh, I'm so sorry. We have this new accountant. And we didn't, obviously. (laughs) Little white lies. I, I mean, I know I'm going to hell at some point probably, but honestly, like little white lies, right? I blame the accountant. But Honestly, if you're not going to blame the accountant, what else do you do? So what are your best like verbal skills for that? What do you coach? So I tell the clients, like if, if somebody wants you to send them a statement like that, we can certainly send you a statement. However, we do charge a $15 billing fee. So it'll cost you a little extra if we send you that statement. So most of our patients prefer to pay at the time of service. Nice. Wow. I like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. $15 billing fee. Yeah. Is that pretty normal? I have them range like between 10 and 25 Depends on, okay. you know, because it does, it costs money regardless yeah. how you're sending the statement because there are still some people putting it in the mail. It's still time and energy like to do it. So yeah, it's an inconvenience to us. We want our money up front. So we're going to charge you a little extra to do it. 
Yeah, I've had offices. I have not done that, but go ahead and print it out right then. Hand it to them with the envelope and say, "Here you go." When you get home, you're you can stick it in the mail to us um, to try to break that cycle. Just get them in the in the habit of we're going to ask you every time you come. That's going to be our policy. Well, and I think for older patients, I think that really works well. If you've got younger patients, you know they're probably that's going to go in the trash or at the purse if they even have it. I don't even know. You could follow up with a an email with a link to pay or a text to pay. You know, that's the easiest way to do it. But yeah, I remember we used to give them an envelope, but we would actually put a stamp on it. On so it. They wouldn't have to. Right? Yeah. Like that's how that's how nice we were. Yeah. The other part of this is asking for payment for a new employee who has to do this. That can be terrifying, right? How do you build that confidence? How do you all I'll talk to your new employees on how to do that. For me, I advise them the option, instead of steering them to asking for payment, that the option isn't if they're going to pay. The option is how they'll pay. Keep it just very streamlined. Your account balance is this. How would you like to take care of that today? Take out and then silence. Take out. Usually that's when all the scrambling and, and talking happens, but just two sentences, keep it very straightforward, and then let them have the option of how they're going to pay, but not if they're going to pay. And I think part of that starts at the front end and making sure before they come in, they know how much it's going to be and they know that that is going to be due when they come in. So it's absolutely at the time of the appointment. Yeah, I think that's why financial conversations um, and agreements are critical and knowing what is expected that day when they come in for treatment. And there's all kinds of ways to do it. Bottom line is you got to get them to agree to it and then ask for it. So you said today, you know, we're expecting this and you were going to put it on your visa. And I work with, you know, with you, it's it's the team and getting comfortable for them to actually say it. So having them practice it, get comfortable with the silence. And I always look at the the checkout area as well, where they'll be asking for money. If they're sitting below the patient and looking up to them to ask for money, I always am telling, meet them eye to eye, stand up and ask for that payment. And that's that kind of power position. Not that you're going to bow up at them or anything, but right. meet them eye to eye and say, hey, this is what we agreed to. I'll be happy to take your visa today. It's 850 or whatever it is, what we agreed to. Assume they're going to pay and follow that agreement that you had and st- stand up. And then we just practice a lot, getting a team, especially a new person that's never asked for money before. Um, sometimes that can be good, and sometimes that can be a challenge. I've had both things happen. In fact, I think people who've never done it before in th- this recent year, let's say, when you told them that was part of their process, the process of their job, and they're coming in with no dental, they really have been great at it because they know, well, I go to the grocery store and pay. I go to the gas station and pay. I go to the store and pay. So this mindset of asking for it, they've been less intimidated by the amounts and asking than they have in the past 10 or 15 years for me, my experience with it. So it's good yeah. to watch and just get it, use the right words and have that confidence for it. The older seasoned generation like myself is, and you, Angela, to yeah. count you in on this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We, we're used to having all these rules in place. And I want to get to that a little bit later when we talk about like kind of 
throwing out the billing practices and let's see about starting new ones. But I'm cracking up over here because you're saying stand up and meet them at their level. But Michelle and I are thinking, look, we stand up and we're still not at their level. <laughs> we're short. <laughs> so I appreciate that. But it sounds like I need a footstool behind my desk too, right? Michelle, you work a lot with doctors and teams that are like, like Angela said, bright, right off the street. They have never had to ask for money. Are you seeing the same thing Angela's saying, or are you still seeing like the uh-huh, money? You know what? There, as long as it's laid out for them, and they know what they have to collect, they're okay with it. The thing that I've run into are a lot of these people that are getting hired with no experience that work up front. They might have been working at. Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks or something like that before, and they don't really know how much dentistry costs. So it's like sticker shock to them when they're seeing this. And they have a little bit of a hard time. I actually ran into this with one of my offices where the front office person kept saying, like, I could never afford this. So I'm having a little bit of trouble, like, asking people for the money. So it's really just educating them on, like, how amazing your doctor is and the technology and the fact that you... You're providing a service. Just like Angela said, like you go to the grocery store and you pay, you go to the hair salon, you pay, you go get an oil change and you pay. It's the same thing in dentistry. And I think if it's laid out for them and they just have to say, you know, that'll be a thousand dollars for today, that's fine. But when they actually have to like present it themselves in the beginning, I think it's a little bit of a, a challenge. I love that you brought that up, Michelle, because one of the things I've worked on here recently with some people totally outside of dentistry coming into dentistry and about that is we didn't have them talking about that yet, of course, but looking at the options for them and going through that cost factor of dentistry. When's the last time you went to the dentist? What did you have done? Did you pay for it all? What do you know about? Because they don't know anything. A lot of these you know, early 20s, haven't had a lot of dentistry, haven't had to pay for their hygiene visit even, you know what I mean? So kind of introducing them to that that side of dentistry. Like we do amazing things here. Our doctors are skilled. Our technology is amazing. And dentistry neglect is expensive. And that's why people are here. And getting that mindset shift with them early on. But that's a great uh, reminder. Like we got to tell them what we yeah. do how great our services are and that's why it cost. And I like Angela about not assuming that their financial situation. I think that's so hard. Even when I worked in the office, um, just assuming what people can and can't afford. And I think we just have to, as hard as it is, just not assume anyone's financial situation because, you know, the people that you assume can't pay that $3,000 bill. It's easy for them. They're watching hockey. That's what they yeah. They, yeah, they, people pay for what they want. Yep. We just have to get you know, on the list of wants and give them options to pay for it. And they can do it. I saw a great meme the other day, and it was something like, you know, this cost, this cost. And what really hit me, though, was time to set up systems or time to go through email one hour. And the complaint is, oh, I don't have enough time. But doing that is one hour, but you'll binge Netflix for three hours. But you're right. People choose what's a priority to them. And the thought of credit not being great nowadays is not as scary as it used to be uh, because you've got a lot of different ways you can access funds and all that, and not everybody's going for a mortgage. And so being really impeccable with your credit limit is not as important. I see a little bit more 
of us getting pushed down to that bottom of the virtual pile. Do you know what I mean? As far as we're not a priority. It's important, I think, for us to make sure that we get our balances in front of our patients as soon as possible. Now, this is what I want to propose to you all. And I, I think some of you are on board with this, but I definitely would love to, to hear some pushback if you've got any. I just want to shorten the billing cycle for people. You know, what we used to do is send out bills every 30 days because that's what the software said, right? But we can customize that. And I'm curious what you are all advising your practices or what you've experienced yourself. Do you think we could cut it down to in half, like sending out statements instead of every 30 days? Hopefully you don't have to send it out after that, but, you know, every 15 days or every 45 days, like what do you guys think would be good for today's practice? Also understanding the economy that we're experiencing. I mean, for me, I'm trying to get our offices at least to have them first sent every 30 days, which for me, uh, more than once a year. So um, (laughs) the more communication than less. The typical system I use now is sending statements multiple times throughout the week with the patient getting one every 30 days. I think I've seen a lot of practices that just send all statements once a month, which I think can be very detrimental to the the office where they're only getting that stream in once a month and it just takes longer. So why not break it up send multiple times a week? But I'm definitely interested to see if the cycle, you know, are, are we going to send, start going to every 15 days statements go out? I think now that we have electronic statements, now that we can text patients, email patients their statements, maybe it'll be more acceptable. For me, I'm trying to get at least every 30 days now. <laughs> Yeah, baby steps. I'm thrilled if it's every 30 days. But I do think with the technology that we have, it could be cut in half every 15 days. And it's easy to manage within, you know, your software. And there's so many different ways to to do that. And, And sometimes it is the baby steps. So, yeah, every 30 days is great. But then how about when an insurance pays and the patient has a balance, we send a statement. Like, why don't we just start with that? Or if someone comes in, let's ask for the money. And if they don't have it, hand them the piece of paper with the statement on it already. Shoot them a text two days later. You know, all of those things to tighten it up. I get to work with a lot of startups. When they open their doors, they have all of this technology and we create the system right away. So a lot of my clients are collecting deposits or the full amount on the day of of treatment. So there's very few statements that are going out, we have the protocol in place that if insurance doesn't pay what we estimated them to pay, they, they send the text link right away. Like your insurance has been received. This is what you owe. There's very few statements that are going out that way because the patients are, are very much aware. And for whatever reason, maybe we're just been lucky lately, the patients that insurance paid a lot less than we anticipated have been calling right away saying like, is there any way that I can pay this over three months? Here's my credit card. And then you don't have to worry about it. I do have some offices that, yeah, it might be a little bit out of control. And what they have been doing is they've been doing basically every 15 days, but it's been, you send a statement, whether it's electronically or the text link, and they call two weeks later. So they're not just sending statement after statement with no consequences. Like if you haven't paid me in two weeks, just make a phone call yes. to them. And they've been having a lot of success with that. I love that. I feel like I'm just getting more aggressive with billing in general, only because I'm looking at what other industries are doing. And first of all, when I was in office full time, I never understood why 
I had to pay my personal credit card bill within like seven days. But I was waiting 30 days for, you know, Mrs. Smith to pay her bill. So I never quite understood that, but it never occurred to me that I could change that because I always thought that was that was our industry. That's just what you do in dentistry. I want to try to reimagine that for offices because they might feel like they're stuck too because they just look at the software settings and that's what they think it is. I would like to press it to every 15 days. Okay, so maybe you're busy. I know I was the only one in the office for a long time, maybe 20 days. Okay, so because I need to be able to pick up the phone and call or send an email or text or whatever. But I mean, Ashley, you were saying with the text to pay and and, I mean, all you brought that up. The fact is we have so many ways now to reach our patients without actually talking to them because they don't want to talk to us either, right? So let's do that. They don't answer the phones anymore. Let me know if you've had different experiences here. The ones who weren't going to pay their bill, I would want to know that at the 15-day mark rather than the 30-day because they have decided, haven't they, that they're not going to pay their bill over time, right? So hopefully... If you're listening and you haven't had a lot of experience in your position, we can tell you from experience that you can pretty much, when you get really good at it, you can tell when a patient's not planning on paying you. Like you can just tell before they walk out the door, right? Ladies, isn't that that is how you feel? If they're not going to pay you by the mail, I'd rather wait least amount of days, least amount of days. And I just don't want to chase anymore. I'm done chasing. I don't want offices to chase, especially now that we're getting to the point where you hit it, Michelle the amounts that are coming back from insurance is less. And so we're having to collect more unexpectedly. And if you hit somebody with an unexpected bill, hopefully we've softened that with language ahead of time. That's a whole different podcast. But if you hit them with that, you can't go 30 days because they're they're not going to pay it. They're just not going to pay it. They're going to get angry, mad, whatever. So, But as far as collections, do you guys still have offices sending people to collections? Sometimes. Yeah. I feel like we used to do that more. I think don't do it as much. People are scared of bad Google reviews. Yep. I know at my father's practice, that was a big deterrent to sending collections for him. He's like, is it worth getting a possible bad review? That's kind of what made him to, I guess, lessen how many patients we ended up sending collections. So did that mean that you had to be more like aggressive getting the money from them? Like, you had- Oh, yeah. I was very aggressive. That's a fine line, though, because you might get a bad review from as of your girl Ashley calls me too often. Or, yeah, you know. right. So for me, the collections all start to at that breakdown, getting how much insurance is expected to pay um, and then updating those payment tables when they come in. So we were fee for service for a lot of our networks. So it was hard. it's hard to know how much are they going to pay keeping that record of when a claim comes back and it pays this much for this code for this plan and updating that that's what saved us from collecting at time of service as close to an estimate as we could it wasn't perfect but i think having that on the front end helps with collections so much yeah i agree i think with people not wanting to do collections too it's the google reviews someone's going to say something bad about me and oh but then they just write it off twice a year it's been through and so then you have a bad debt write-off well then don't let them come back so like if that's going to be the thing then you have to have some flags that pop up in your software that says this was a bad debt write-off we don't want to reschedule them or if they schedule they need to pay up front and you can add that bad debt back in you know what's the plan going to be they don't want to write off everything at the end of the year so their numbers look right it's, it's tricky though yeah it's tricky because if you if they call 
and want to schedule and you say, well, you have to pay everything and you're not doing that for everybody else. It's a possible like discrimination, you know, and but at the same time, if we send them a patient termination letter, that also could get you a bad review, too. Like even if you write off the amount, if you terminate them as a patient, you're risking it. So, I mean, I guess the office has to figure out their risk level. Like what what do they want to do and what can they do? You know, if a Google review comes in, do they let that person come back as a patient? It's very frustrating. One of the one of the issues I had when I was training new people at my office when I was a manager was um, I would put flags on patients and they would click right through the flags mm-hmm. and and still schedule the patient. And I would be like, why is hockey family back on the schedule? I don't understand. It's- and, you know, then I would make them call and cancel. So I'm sorry because I'm not doing it. I dealt with them enough, right? Yeah. But that's, yeah, people don't click through the flags. They're there for a reason. That is the hardest thing for me to, don't just, you watch them just X, 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 X. Like, what did that say? I don't know. Well, that was probably important information that you probably should have read before you closed it. When I, <laughs> oh, patient has a heart condition. Right. Oh, okay. Heart condition. Great. Well, so, sorry, Ashlyn. And save those flags for important alerts. <laughs> yes. They're going to lot of offices that their favorite color is green. Does not need to be a, a flag. I I do agree. The so the patients that just you know when you do the billing you you remember the names you remember the names of the patients you chase. So for the ones yeah. that had me chasing them, they would get a pop up that we would have to collect before they got their treatment done. So we definitely established some rules with patients that had you know one two strikes that we if they want treatment, of course we're going to provide treatment. But we're going to collect before you before you go back to see the doctor. I would love to talk about setting up those rules, because I think what we're all talking about is having good. I mean, obviously, good financial systems ahead of time would really help out. If you have an office, though, that has never had financial systems in place, who does that come from? Does it come from you, the consultant? Does it come from the dentist? Does it come from the manager? Like, where do they go to get their financial guidelines and how long or not how long, but how often should you revisit those? So for me, it's a conversation I have with my um, doctors when we start in, you know, consulting and coaching is looking at those numbers. What is AR? What's normal? What is the, the process right now? Sometimes they don't even know who owes them money. They don't look at those reports. And then I, I like coding everything correctly too so that you know when you have a bad debt write-off or things that you're giving away so you know so then having that conversation and then getting with the office manager as well with the doctor and me and have a conversation about what would you like it to look like if you collected this you know what is that what's your BAM or your PIP point do you even know how much it takes to pay all the bills then that's what we need to collect minimum are you getting paid what you want? Well, here's one thing that we could do. Go ahead. So I wanted to just share your coding. When you were saying coding, the you were talking about adjustments. adjustments. I mean, adjustments. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Okay. So without getting me flagged by Apple, could you explain what BAM and PIP is? Oh, just yeah, because. No, easily. Remember, not everybody starts our language. Like, right. Yeah. Well, so I get emails from people, believe it or not, that are like, I just found your podcast. I started last week. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. No, but it's not if I'm throwing around BAM and IP and I know. So (laughs) it's not key for you guys, just your profitability incentive point. Think about it as what does it take to run the business every month? And ideally, you want your doctor to get paid as well. Your doctor, you want to get paid. So what's that number? So we got to make sure that we're collecting at least that amount. 
So there's a lot of times when you look at these numbers and run those reports and you look at AR and you're thinking, oh my gosh, that hurts. Like Ashley said earlier, that hurts my heart. People walk out without paying or they have, you know, a lot of debt in there that's in that 60 and 90 day pile. Can we go get it? What percentage of it can we go get? And then what's our system to keep it from growing to that point? So kind of having that conversation with doctors and office managers goes, hey, maybe we should have some rules and guidelines in place and get everybody on the same page. Believe it or not, there's a lot of offices that don't that I meet. It's whatever the person that is in charge of it at that time has done or was trained by before somebody else left. That's the system. And there's no rhyme or reason for it sometimes. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not so good. So just having that. absolutely not so good. Yeah. It's mostly not so good because it it was nobody corrected them. And then unfortunately, there's this thing called compounding where it just gets worse and worse and worse. And that's where, you know, Ashley's company comes in and, and after Ashley recovers from the the reports, you know, seeing the reports, she picks herself up off the floor and devises a, a plan of it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like a bad game yeah. of telephone. It's just passed down from one person to the other. And throughout that process, it gets, gets jumbled. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Michelle, we, I know you work mostly with startups. So like you get to do this from day one. So hopefully you can correct all this before it gets to, you know, Ashley. <laughs> We create a system, the team knows, you know, they have their guidelines of what they can allow without having to go to the doctor. I tell all of my clients, every system, whether it's financial or whatever, once a year, you have to look at it and see, like, is it still working? Are we following it, first of all? Because people will be like, well, why is our AR so high? We had a system in place, but nobody's following it. If we're following it and it's not working, then we have to reevaluate or reassess it and figure out how to make it work. And then just holding everybody accountable to it, which means the doctor has to be involved in it. I know like they trust the office manager and I was an office manager who had the whole office like handed over to me. So I know that we, we trust the office manager, but like Angela was saying, like sometimes the doctor doesn't even know what is happening. And as a practice owner, kind of want to know what's happening with your money. You would think. Yeah, it's, it's tough because I know they the doctors want to know but a lot of times they feel like they won't even know what to look for right. and so they're like what's the use of me looking at these reports if I don't even know what to look for and you know that's uh, yeah I get it I get what you're saying but it's not like Google is brand new go check it out and look at the report talk to somebody that knows what they're doing not Facebook please stop it with the Facebook but um <laughs> but it is definitely Something that I think you're right, Michelle, every year you had to assess, not just because things change so rapidly, but you got to look at the economy. You got to look at what's going on around your office and do you need to tighten up, maybe not let as many payment plans out there. Just popping in to share a few ways that Curve Dental can help strengthen your billing practices. Your statements can be customized to send out at your preferred interval. You can also set your due date for a specific time period. I love my 10-day due dates. I don't want them to go further out than that. I don't like giving patients a lot of time to pay their bill. I want that cash flow coming in. Don't give them 30 days. That's not really the norm anymore. You can customize that to your little heart's desire. You can also customize your statements with notes or billing explanations and then send those out electronically if you can. I prefer electronic statements because I don't like folding and stamping and doing all of that. A statement with a clearly shown balance leads to faster payment. Patients have to spend less time figuring out whether or not they actually owe this amount 
Don't give them a chance to put it away to figure it out later. We all know that later doesn't come until much, much later, or it just doesn't come at all. Now, the ability to pay via text is also available with Curve. This has been a game changer for not just me, but for a lot of offices that I've talked to. I've not yet run into any manager who dislikes this feature. If you're worried about the fees that are associated with it, you've got two different processors to choose from, Global Payments and Bluefin. You likely are using one or the other already. It's customizable, it's easy to use, and it's what drives many of our patient communications and billing software purchases. Curve Dental is known for those qualities, being customizable and being easy to use. To schedule a no-pressure individual demo, go to CurveDental.com slash Duncan. It's CurveDental.com slash Duncan. And that's D-U-N-C-A-N, not Duncan like the donuts, although I'm a fan of those too. Let them know that I said hi. I promise that there will not be any pressure, any weird sales going on there. So to schedule that demo, CurveDental.com slash Duncan. And again, thanks for being such a loyal listener of the podcast. Back to our panel. One thing that I wanted to ask is, what forms do you want your offices to be using when they talk about money? And and what I mean by that is, I, I hear often, I didn't know I needed to give them, what is that called when you assess interest, the truth and lending forms. Oh. I didn't know I needed to give them truth and lending. I didn't know I needed to have them sign the financial presentation. I didn't know that they needed this. Getting them to do informed consent is a whole different animal, so let's not get into that, but let's just keep it to money. What forms do you insist that they use and or what forms do, are you surprised to not see them use? I'm surprised that there's still a lot of offices that don't have them sign a treatment plan at all. So the treatment plan at the bare minimum needs to be signed. A lot of the softwares out there have a way for you to present the financial options to them. So I think that they should at least do that. Do they want to go with a third party financing you know, are they going to put it all on their credit card? Are they going to pay you in cash? Like, how do they plan to do it? Yeah, they they can change their mind when they show up, but at least you have some sort of commitment from them. Yeah, I agree. And those are two different conversations. Your treatment is what's been prescribed to you by the doctor to get you healthy. That's one conversation. And then the financial conversation is about how you're going to pay for it that day. And I think they should sign it. You know, most of my practices, what we work towards is having a financial arrangement conversation for anything over, I think the lowest I have is probably about 300, you know, and that depends on the person. Somebody might have a hard time with $200. So you got to know how to read your, your patients as well and be quiet so that they can ask a question when you do present it. The team getting used to holding their breath for a minute and let the patient absor absorb that amount and then ask their question. It's very important. A lot of times we talk right through too much. The the whole, yeah, like we need to just speak quiet. I mean, even if you're scribbling on the clipboard or something, like just yeah. pretend that you're doing something important and let them think about it. Yeah. They're going to process it. I'm always a fan of, I think, the standard cash, check, credit card. I do try to urge my offices. I don't love payment plans in office. I've been burned way too many times. With those credit cards on file that get declined. So <laughs> I'm bitter to those now. So I, I try to push them. If they're going to finance, use a third party to finance. Don't be the bank and finance it yourself. So either accept a time of service or finance from a third party. 
the whole be the bank is something that I don't think people realize until you point it out to them. They're not realizing that they're holding, like that money is not coming unless the person on the other end decides, yes, I'm going to pay. It's not like it's a guarantee. It's not like it's, I'll pay you later. And you know, for sure it's going to happen. It's, I may or may not. It's really, it's 50-50. Let's be honest, whether or not you're going to get it. So let the third party take that risk. What do you guys do with barter? Don't you hear barter all the time? <laughs> oh, you should have seen it. You guys didn't see it because it's audio only, but like pretty much everybody rolled their eyes or made some kind of disgusting face. So um, let's talk. I hit a nerve here. Let's talk about barter. I have so many bad stories. My dad wanted <laughs> everything. I try to tell him like friendships and work, like it doesn't mix. It never ends well. So like I'm talking from... Just anything and everything, barbecue stuff. Mm-hmm. It was bad. But I think because we got burned so many times, because he always got burned. So he always fulfilled the side of the bartering, but he was too nice that he never got what he bartered for. I personally think you shouldn't ever mix patient like that just there's just a fine line. Like if a patient, like, hey, they want to do the website for you. I always just don't don't do it. Doesn't end well. Don't barter. Yeah, I agree. Tax implications too, right? Aren't there tax implications? Holy head, Angela. I don't see it as much anymore, but I can say back, you know, because I've been so old. In the beginning, I mean, they bartered for everything. Like you're saying, Ashley, I mean, everybody was their friend all of a sudden and had something that they could benefit from or with. And I feel like the dentist always got the short end of the stick. I mean, unless it was a pool. It, it didn't correlate for them. I don't see it as much anymore with my younger dentist. If anything, I see where they give them a break on the price for something, their friends or, or that kind of thing. But I don't see barter as much anymore, thank goodness. Keep it separate. Do you think, do you think though, it's because, and Angela, you and I are the oldest in the group because they're all babies, <laughs> these two. Do you think it's because... Even before our time, right? Yeah. My my boss's dad, he bought the bangs from his dad. Back then, though, fillings were 50 bucks. That's true. And crowns were 150 I mean, I saw them because I saw them handwritten on the yeah. little ledger cards I used to use. So, yeah. So, so, if, so it's easy to trade a $150 crown for maybe landscaping, I guess. But now you've got crowns that are like $1,200. So I think... I think that makes a lot of sense if you're not seeing full bartering. You're seeing like just breaks because thankfully dentists are like, okay, our stuff costs a lot. Like that 3D scan is not, it's not worth one haircut. Like that's not going to cut it. That is so true. Yeah. It's kind of concerning though. I mean, let's, let's maybe talk about something that's a little uncomfortable for some people, but the cost of dentistry and what we charge, if you look at it 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it's very different, the pricing. It's very different. And I don't know if that's, I don't know. I don't know. Do you guys think it's gone up too much? Do you guys think it's right in line with other industries? How do you, th- how do you feel about that? You know, I think personally for most of my clients anyways, they're good quality dentist. So that's fortunate. These young guys and girls are coming out of school with an enormous amount of debt. Technology is astronomical in price. So I think they have to balance it some way. And I still find the majority of my dentists, um, when you run that report, 
can't think of the name of it right now, where it shows you that your area with your percentage of where you are. Oh, the UCR. Yes. Fee schedule or fee analysis. Fee analysis. Most of my dentists are still 80% or below in their area. You know, I like to get them up to the 90 percentile a, a lot of times. And I think if they're doing quality work and they have patient has a quality experience, I mean, people pay for it. I mean, you can go buy a t-shirt at Walmart or you can buy a t-shirt at Nordstrom's. What kind of t-shirt are you looking for? What are you willing to pay? And people pay for what they want. My hair's gone up. Nails go up. Purses. I mean, you see all that stuff. Um, and it goes to what service are we providing and how are we helping them get healthy and stay healthy? And are we having good conversations with patients that make it worth the amount? Well, I think the real culprit is the insurance. Oh, gosh, yeah. The cost of dentistry has gone up. There's a lot of doctors that are hardly covering their overhead. So I don't think it's the expense, but I think it's insurance. I mean, the maximum still being $1,000, which it's insane with inflation, should be so much more than that, which I know everyone, you know, usually isn't a fan of dental insurance. But, you know, to find a way to get them to pay, you know, more for the patients, I think in the long run would help everybody. More benefits does help the patients get the care. I mean, there's so many studies about that. The average has moved up to about 1250 just for everybody's benefit. I know that that blows everything out of the water, but 1250 still not enough for somebody who needs, you know, all these crowns. I hear you. I mean, it's definitely, it's harder and harder to justify the low fee schedules that we're getting along with the other issues, the, the low yearly benefits and all of that. One way that offices are pushing back, though, um, or not pushing back necessarily, but compensating, is that they are charging credit card fees now. And five years ago, this was a conversation where I think all of us would have instantly said, what? No, that's cost doing business and blah, blah, blah. We would have been like, ah, we can't do that. You know, squawking about it. At least I would have been. Me too. <laughs> now, though, CPAs, financial analysts, their advisors are saying, you know what, you need to do this because other industries are doing it. Why are you absorbing the cost? It's not standard practice anymore. And I think, as always, we're slower to uptake some of these trends. What are you hearing from people about charging credit card fees? How do you feel about it? What What do you think? So I feel like I was old school, like, no, like, no way. Like, that shouldn't be a thing. I feel like in Facebook groups, I see a lot of that still. Just no, that's the cost of doing business. But I agree. I think the trend is is changing into the other direction. My only hesitation would be it's already so hard to, to get my offices to collect. That is this going to be another deterrent for patients paying their bills? And then therefore, is it going to cost me more than that 3% merchant fee because I'm not collecting on time of service? I think it's still up in the air. I don't know if it's more beneficial or not for the practice. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I do see it in other industries. And I do see it at some, I forget where I was recently. And they were going to charge me extra. And I thought, well, let me see if I've got cash, which worked in that situation. But in our offices, it's not going to typically be where, oh, well, let me see if I have $750 cash on me instead. Now, that's not going to happen where they're going to get to make that choice. Well, unless in advance, we tell them with the financial arrangements. So you could say, you could save if you paid with cash. I don't like giving discounts for a credit card. You know how they do a cash discount if they pay in cash? You shouldn't get one with a credit card because like you're saying, it's already costing us at least 3%. 
but they'll give them more percent off. And I'm like, let's time out on that one. It'll be interesting because I think people are used to seeing it in places. I don't know where it is in healthcare. I see it at dermatology. I've seen it. My vet has it. Vet has it. You're right. Which is kind of a dirty trick because I don't know about you. Do you even have checks or? No. I can't remember the last time I wrote a check. I mean, I'm sure there's some around. I'd have to ask Norman and then he'll huff and puff and be like, what do you need the check for? <laughs> yeah. I don't use it. I so. Yeah, there has to yeah. be another way. And I know that and a lot of people don't carry cash. Either. That's true. No. So, I mean, I never have cash. So I Everything goes on, on my card. From a patient perspective, I would probably be like, well, I guess I have no choice because I got to pay and this is how it is. From a practice perspective, I can see it both ways. Like Ashley said, like, do you want it to be a deterrent from somebody not moving forward with, with the treatment? But I know a lot of offices that are cashless. Now, they don't want the cash. It's too much of a liability in that yeah. practice for them. How do you do it? And then the, it becomes, how do you track it? Oh, now we got to enter another code or something. So this shows like this was the credit card fee and it's just going to annoy them. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't have any offices that are personally doing it yet. Do you guys? I don't. I have one. Yeah. Do you? And how are they coding it? Or what are they? I mean, are they having success? What do you feel? I don't think it's successful now. I don't understand how it's being put in because there does, there has to be two separate yeah, and the patients don't love it. So then they went to, um, this was after, you know, I wasn't working with them anymore. Venmo, which I've heard a lot of offices have been trying to get paid via like Venmo or Cash App. Yeah. Which is problematic because yes. if you don't market as business, a business account, because business accounts, they'll charge if they're trying to slide it through as personal, that's like, get ready to be audited. Honestly, it's it's going to happen. And if you were audited, you have no excuse for it. I mean, look at the IRS right now is trying to push through that they'll look at $600 transactions. I think it's been delayed for a year, but that means it's coming. That just means it's a matter of time, right? Yeah. So to answer your question, Angela, I do have a couple offices that are actually doing that. And how are they ha having success? So it's a line item. It's a line item because for FSAs, HSAs, and things like that, they are only getting reimbursed on the cost of care. So they need to be able to give them a receipt. The office needs to be able to give the patient the receipt that specifies the amount of care and then any ancillary costs. And those are not reimbursable by the HSA. That's why, you know, the one office explained to me that that's what they did after having done it for a while and then getting requests at the end of the year, well, can you break this out? Also, you see how much you pay at the end of the year, right? Yeah. Compared to what your credit card fee is. And from a staff point of view, the staff doesn't see your credit card fees if you're a business owner, right? They don't typically see that. I was giving a class oh, at the last ADOM conference and one lady, she's the manager of a, a multi-site DSO, very small at this point. And she said she did the numbers and it was $100,000 they were paying in credit card fees. A hundred thousand dollars. Okay. Then that led to another conversation I had with somebody who had been in that class and we were, I was at a different class and she had been at this class. Follow me with this. And though she said, I have a question about that, that conversation you had in that last class. And she said, really a hundred thousand. I said, well, at the volume. Yeah, for sure. And then she said, I've been thinking about this. And I thought it was very smart of her to point this out. We're getting asked to provide higher salaries, more benefits, more this, more that. But there's nothing we can draw it from, right? There's no more extra stuff. So how do you squeeze blood from a stone, right? Well, the stone that's sitting right there is your credit card processing fees. 
her doctors are considering doing this because it would save them. She did the numbers and it would save them about $70,000 because very busy practice, $70,000 in credit card fees. And it's not like that 70000 is going to go home to the doctor. That 70000 is going to be used to give better salaries, give bonuses, give benefits. And that was the sole reason they were looking at it. They weren't looking at it as we need to make more money. Like they examined everything. How can we save costs? And they'd literally done everything they could. And this was like the only thing left for them to test. She told me she's going to start at the beginning of the year. She's, they're implementing it. They're talking about conversations now. They're setting that into place. I asked her to check back in with me because I'd love to hear how that went. But the other offices I worked with that are implementing this, they are not sorry. They are like, why were we, why did we not do this sooner? Which is shocking to me, honestly. And for me, it's a mind shift. It's a mind shift, right? Because I'm kind of like, oh, it's cost of doing business. But to Ashley's point, insurance structure hasn't changed enough for the PPO offices to do any kind of pivoting in their guidelines. I don't it's a great conversation piece to have when you're looking at the um, profit and loss statement. You know, some office managers are involved in that part. Some of them are not. But to look and see what is what is that costing us a month? Because I think a lot of times we just kind of skip over it like, yep, that's the cost of doing business. Let's go to the next item. We can't do anything about that one kind of thing. And that's not true. But and you can definitely save money on supplies, but there's only so much. Right? Yeah. What are you going to do? You can save money on software. You can switch, you know, get away from all the hardware, move to cloud. That's but that only saves you so much, right? And you know where I see people cutting a lot is benefits. Benefits. Medical insurance. They're like, okay, let's get to a cheaper plan. But yet, if you did this, I mean, she made a great point. She didn't even have to make that big of an argument because, right, my brain, my manager brain kicked in and was like, I need to keep my employees because everybody's trying to steal them. Yeah. You know, and that's, so that's something for me to think about. And even helping with the the team piece of that, but some people want to update their technology and can't find the money for it. So here's another option for them as well to look at that. Well, that opens my eyes to thinking about presenting it and talking about it and how you would do it. Oh, I'll have to reach back out to the office manager that shared this with me because, I, I mean, she opened my eyes, too. I didn't. Yeah. I had thought about it, but it had never like she really put a fine point on it. And that was I, I appreciate that she did that level of, you know, how can I best help my employees? Yeah. Not how can I best make more money? Right. How can I best help my employees? And just that's awesome. That's what good managers do. So good on her. Absolutely. Good on her. Yeah. So. Michelle, it looked like you were going to say something. I'm sorry, and I cut you off at some point. And now she's like, yeah, I knew you were going to cut me off, Teresa. I just expect this, right? <laughs> There's lots of good things, so much, so much to say. Like, this is a this is something that I would like to follow and yes. and see. Like, I'm as you're talking, I'm almost thinking about, like, I have one or two clients that I could test this out with and see how it goes. <laughs> well, and you have the, you have the, the real awesome testing ground of these new new offices you know they don't know and you know i'm not saying say to them hey everybody's doing it but <laughs> you could say why don't we try this out <laughs> you can always take it away if it doesn't work yeah let's you know stop the policy but yeah i'm now thinking about it a different way too so i'm glad the conversation's being you know had i think that's how yeah. people grow is just innovate talk about it test it out see if it works because billing back then you know, Angela and I, the age of Angela, I would say, <laughs> age of Angela and Teresa. It was very different back then. We just, 
would say, here's how much it is. How much can you pay today? And then we accept that it was probably a quarter of the amount that they should have paid. And then we'd send them that bill. And I don't know about you, Angela. Did you have bill? Well, Michelle, you probably did too. Have billing days were like bill oh, yes. the 30th of the month. Yep. Yes. You locked yourself in the room. Really? Nobody could bother yep. you. Ashley, did you have those or you're too? You're, yeah. you're so, oh, she's so sweet. Look at her. She doesn't even know. Yeah, she's like, about. she's like, I don't want to admit it, but she's right. Like, I'm, not, I'm way too young for this group. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's very different. But I think what's made all of us stand out and and help offices more is that we see trends coming and we're willing to to evaluate and take a look. And I I just don't want our audience to be stuck in these kind of old legacy, you know, ways of doing the billing. We're coming up on our time, and what I'd like to do is ask you all to profile a good office manager. Have you met a fantastic office manager? And what was it about that office manager that, you know, really made her stand out? So Angela, you go first. Okay. So an outstanding office manager that I helped develop, number one, but she had a ton of attributes in the beginning anyways to tap into. Uh, I think the biggest thing, you walk the talk, you do the things. So you set that example of leadership and learn how to have crucial conversations. Learn how to have the tough conversations, whether it's with your team, with a patient, or with your doctor. Don't be afraid of those and learn how to have them and get the, you know, get the result. And a lot of times we just complain about it or think nothing's going to happen. And so we don't bring it up. What was it about her personality that, that made her really good at those crucial conversations? Willingness to listen and not be right. Yeah. Yeah. I think for a lot of managers, we want to be right Mm -hmm. because we just know what's best for the office. But sometimes we, yeah, sometimes it's not the way. So, Michelle. Yeah, for me, it was one person that I came across that, like, really stood out to me was because, I mean, she reminded me a little bit of myself because she never wanted to stop learning. She was always taking the classes and it didn't matter that she had been doing it for 20 years. She, she felt like there was still more to learn. And I've run into a lot of managers that are like, I don't need to take that. I've been doing this for so long. There isn't much left for me to learn. So like to find an office manager that's been doing it for a really long time and is still eager to learn something new, to take those classes, to make sure that they're at the top of their game. That's something that really stands out to me. It's also wonderful. Wonderful. Ashley. So, Michelle, that was totally mine, too. Well, I'm going to switch that. So, originally, I was going to say, like, growth-minded, because I do. I think dentistry is always changing, so you have to be okay with change. I think a self-starter attitude is really important, too. Uh, I think we mentioned before, if you don't know how to do something, Google it. Manager, you can't wait to be told what to do. Chances are you are kind of, you're the backbone to the practice. The doctor, a lot of times, isn't going to tell you how to run things. So you have to take the bull by the horns and take action. Might not be the right choice, and that's okay. That's how we learn. We learn from making mistakes and trying something. It didn't work well, and so we adapt. But just being that self-starter, getting in there, and taking action. Well, fantastic. These are good. Like, if we could build a manager for us. <laughs> yeah. Build a bear. Build a manager. You know what I would build in? It's we, well, we all touched on it, is the ability to just shut up. Honestly, to be silent and not be afraid of awkward silences. The awkward silences, if you're okay with them, then it's only awkward for the other person, not for you. Like, let them deal with that. But a lot of times, 
if we talk through those conversations, we lose the thought that's forming in the other person's mind. We got to give them that space to let it form. And if it's uncomfortable, so be it. Like, I, I don't know. I just, I've seen too many good conversations that, well, what could have been good conversations ruined by doctors who feel like, and managers who feel like they need to power through, just get their point across. And then when it's silent, they're like, oh, God, she's going to cry. I better just keep talking. You know? <laughs> I think we've all been in that situation, right? Yeah. So I, I love this. This, is, this has been fantastic. So I will put all of your contact information in the show notes so that everybody can reach out to you. Angela, though, and let's start with, with Angela. Can you just give a, a shout out to where they can find you, your website and all of that? And that way, if they don't have time to pull over to the side of the road, they can at least know where to go. It's adaptivedentalsolutions.com. And then you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Angela at ADS. So that's Adaptive Dental Solutions. Um, easy to find. Cool. Ashley. So you can find me at bonddentalbilling.com. Bond like James. And then on Instagram, Facebook, same, Bond Dental Billing. Very consistent she is. So, <laughs> Michelle. You can find me at affinitymanagement.co, C-O. And on Instagram, Michelle underscore affinity M-G-M-T. Drop off that M for Michelle. So <laughs> I have to remember all the time. I had to actually delete it because I think I entered it in. And then now my, my email won't let me forget it. But I had to go in and make some changes. So, all right, everyone. Um, I want to thank all three of you. You're fantastic women, wonderful sources of knowledge, and very much appreciate that you all uh, spent your time with us. And I want to thank Curve Dental for sponsoring this and lending their support. Uh, they they love office managers, let me tell you. They, they pretty much anything I pitch them about office managers are like, yes, let's do more. Uh, so they do love us very much. So give them a look if you are not a customer. And I will put a link in the show notes. If anybody would like a demo, use the link. And then that way they'll know that it came from me, which means that I can give more stuff to you all in the form of these podcasts. So I don't get any gifts from them like like curve swag, right? I could use some curve swag, but I don't ask for it. You know, I just, I got it. this is my size, right? Uh, you all were at uh, ADOM, right? Like either this year or the year before. Yeah. And uh, their booth is always phenomenal. But Ashley, your booth. I know. Your booth was amazing. amazing. Your booth had a neon sign. Go ahead and tell them what was your neon sign. Everyone knows I'm a fan of dental insurance. So my neon sign <laughs> said dental insurance sucks. And we got a lot of photographs. So we'll be there next year. So yeah, we'll be there with the neon sign. What you need to do. What I would love for you to do, though, Ashley, from a bonding perspective is, yes, dental insurance sucks if you want to have that again, but there needs to be something near that sign that says bond, dental, yes. branding, branding, branding. Yep. You're already on it. Already on it. That was, yeah. <laughs> Many people mentioned that. Like, good idea. <laughs> dental insurance sucks, but it doesn't have to with us. There you go. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, ladies. Thank you so much for being a part. And dear listeners, I am always so grateful that you spend your time with us. We're all super busy, so thank you for making time for me today. The show notes will have any links that we referenced in this episode. You can also find links for my book and for my live events and webinar schedule. I speak often around the country on management and insurance issues. 
Come hang out with me in one of my classes. I promise you'll laugh and learn.